0: well uh it is delightful to be here in johnson from back in in johnson Vermont i've, I've been having a a, a, one, a wonderful week and um uh, it's just a pleasure and a privilege to be uh in a place that um i know of uh well Knew of in particular from the poems of Hay- of, of Hayden Carruth, who, uh, though we only knew each other through correspondence, was really one of my great friends and great mentors. And so to be uh, to be here is, um, first of all, for the place itself and for the people I've met here, and. Um, at the same time uh, because of Hayden. That, uh, uh, so in fact, um, I'm going to start this reading with uh, two short poems from a sequence called Paragraphs uh, from this book that I've been carrying around for 20 years. So one, one of book, Hayden's books, it's, a, it's a, an early selected poems that uh, Galway Cannell, another, uh, another Vermont connection, um, Put, to, um, put together and prefaced, and the paragraph was a form that um, Hayden himself, who was a also a master both of everything from the most uh, uh, the the mo- the, the, mo- the most complicated uh, forms that he knew about or that he made up for himself uh, to the uh, most uh, uh, open and at the same time fantastically crafted Whitmanian verse, but the paragraph was a form he invented and it's not it 's not a prose paragraph at all and um, uh, these are two two poems from um, a, a sequence in this book then called Paragraphs, which were initially from uh, might as well give, give books credit where, uh, credit where credit is due from the book uh, Brothers, I Loved You All that was published in 1978. Begin right here, the campground road. Some calls it the hogback, but that's up higher. Down here's the river, and there's Vermont, all ridge and valley, and all cockeyed. Seems so. Over across is the land. White face and all, Madonna, Mansfield, butternuts back here, and Baldy Langdell's uncle's place was right there, him that set his house as square as his own square Yankee head afore he died, and Baldy died, and old Jimmy, and Hank Rago, King, Malcolm, Jackson, and all in a breath of years, a cold wind, old and cold sprung these water drops from a bare birch brow, these light drops scattering to the edge of a pool of darkness. Or say, we could glimpse Vivaldi's parchment now, his hand flinging down a bright arpeggio. And, uh, and this second and last one from this sequence. Now tell me if we don't need a revolution. Black is the color of my only flag and of man's hope. Will revolution bring the farms back? Gone, gone. The only crop this valley will grow now is the great land rack. Breakage, erosion, garbage, trash, gimcrack, we burn it. The stink trails in the air. A long, thin smoke of floating despair down the time of our valley. Someday we will be free. Someday, when it's too late. It's true, the real revolutionary is one who can see all dark ahead and behind his fate. A need without a hope. The will to resist. The state is universal. The universe is a state now ask me if I am really an anarchist, Hayden Carruth. Yes. <laughs> 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 um, and. Um, I thought many times that the, the, the way that a, a form of poem becomes something more than the invention of one person is when it goes from one person to another person. And um, I picked up Hayden's paragraph form, which I, I'm not going to explain, but it has a complicated metrical... It's a 15-liner it's a with a complicated metrical and rhyme scheme. And uh, there is, a, in this book... A long sequence called Paragraphs from a Day Book, and I will read a couple of those. Same, uh, same structure, different speaker. Thought thrusts up homely as a hyacinth wrapped in its bulb like a root vegetable, a ninth-month belly, while the green indelible patterns inscribed into the labyrinth thrust into light its air's inhabitant with light and air as food and drink. A hyacinth, tumescent pink on the low wooden Mexican chest confronts the wintry dusk with informed self-interest. Leaf spears extravagantly ask what idea, still gnarled up in a knot of ganglions, will break through at the husk, shaped at last, recognizable as thought. However well I speak, I have an accent tagging my origins, that Teflon fist, that hogwallow of investment, that hegemonic televangelist zeal to dumb the world down to its virulent cartoon contours with the world's consent your heads of state in cowboy suits will lick our leader's lizard boots. My link to that imperial vulgarity is a diasporic accident. Pogroms in Austria, in Hungary, the quota, the boat, the apartment, up six cabbagey flights. Overtime in the garment trade, the children fiercely intent on speaking well without an accent. And just two more paragraphs. And these are um, most specifically set not in, not in Johnson, Vermont, but in Paris. Filthiest of cold mornings with the crumbs of my breakfast tartine and the dregs of tea to clear away. On the market street, the bums, long-term, jobless, stateless, sans abri, meaning those without shelter, Crouch on cardboard, wrapped in frayed woolens, filter out the wind as best they can, discreetly beg, a plastic bowl beside rag-swaddled legs. These all are white, and half of them are women. I talk with one, tall, stained teeth, arched nose and cheekbones like Norman Gentry, She's soft spoken as a fifth grade teacher who'd have shown me fluvial maps and pointed out the human scale of geography. She huddles down on the florist's doorstep in the Rue Saint Antoine. Her friend camps daily on the metro stairs, a tiny, skinny woman with blue eyes. I gave her my old gloves and a blue mohair scarf when it was five below. Despite her size and lack of an ounce of fatty insulation, she vaunts her indomitable constitution to layered housewives who pass the time of day with laden caddies, homebound before noon. In summer, they more or less live on the Quai Saint-Bernard, the little one strips for the sun to shorts and a tank top turning crinkled coffee brown around her aster eyes and looks even thinner while her friend tucks a print skirt over her knees and relaxes. Close to midnight I sometimes see them sharing dinner on a plastic plate on the steps of the Bureau of Taxes. Um. And uh, this uh, is another, uh, another, uh, another another paris uh, street scene a couple of from a couple of years ago. actually it 's not a street scene it 's a cafe scene and almost everything in it was um, uh, genuinely overheard and it 's called Quoi de neuf sur la guerre," which literally means what 's new about the war and in french it 's just an expression that means you know, what 's new what 's up but here sur la Five old men dissect last week's election. Jacques' studio student granddaughter bought a studio apartment bigger than the three rooms that he'd lived in with his two brothers' parents in the Rue du Pont au Chou two streets up. Glasses folded on his cap. Maurice fishes for a not-quite-lost repost in Yiddish. His accent is a familiar garment on a neighbor, here or in Strauss Park on Upper Broadway. The senior four worked here before the war. Now they're back in the rag trade, an 11 o'clock break, tradition, black coffee and discussion, the hater. Relived later. The one, two decades younger, Victor, will at last bring up Israel, 60 ish son, asking his elders what ought to be done. And Maurice, the pouches around his eyes creased deep in a sad smile, says, having known wars, not much peace, a schoolboy in Krakow in 1930, a solution? There is just one. The final solution, does he mean the British had a plan in 48, Arabs could finish Hitler's job in the new state? Does he mean genocide in Palestine to be practiced by our own? Victor changes the subject. The waitress interrupts exegesis, please pay, her shift is over. The watchdog of the cafe, a boxer, trails his young boss, stops at her trim heels. He scowls, sniffs the floor, and gets sawdust on his jowls. And, uh, this, perhaps also thinking about Hayden Carruth, is a poem about, at least somewhat, about jazz, and it's called Alto Solo. Of course, Hayden Carruth wrote more poems about jazz than almost anybody. Except maybe he. Uh, he and Michael Harper might can go head to head on writing poems about jazz. And. Uh, uh, Cecil Taylor, most of you know I hope it is a uh, is a highly uh, experimental and improvisational jazz pianist. Um, Alice Coltrane was the uh, wife of john Coltrane who was who was herself a jazz composer, pianist, and harpist, and in the uh, space between. Uh, the death of John Coltrane and uh, Alice Coltrane's uh, becoming a very seriously involved in Buddhist meditation. She cut ten quite remarkable records. So I think that's all I have to say. And she played with Pharaoh, and, and Pharaoh Sanders played with her. <laughs> Dear one, it's a while since you turned the lights out on the porch. A decade of separate summers, passed and cast shed leaves, on whatever river carried our letters. Merely out of habit, I sometimes tell you when I've learned a word, made a friend, discovered some small park where old men debate the headlines, heard some good music. It's like jazz, which even at its most abstract, has the blues in it, has that long saudade, like a memory of what didn't happen. some place that might be inlaid with mosaics of recollection, which, in fact, is a street corner of the utmost ordinariness, though the late light steeps it with such nostalgia. I can hear a saxophone in the background wail an elegy for the revolution as someone diminishes in the distance, and the film's over. Now you know there won't be another love scene. Do those shadows presage undreamt of war years? Twenty, thirty pass, and there's still a soundtrack behind the credits. Cecil Taylor's complex riffs on the keyboard, which a prep school blonde, 17, named Julie, sneaked me into the blue note for because she knew how to listen. Or it could be Janice packing the Fillmore West with heartbreak when I knew that I'd see her playing pool again at Gino and Carlos some weekday midnight. This is not about you at all. You could be anybody who died too young, who went to live in Sao Paulo or back to Warsaw or just stopped calling. Why did Alice Coltrane stopped cutting records. Think of Pharaoh Sanders being your sideman. Lapidary grief was its consolation, all stone, all silence. Now it's morning, gray, and at last a storm came after midnight, breaking the week-long dog days. Though I woke at three with a splitting headache, I lay and listened to the rain Forgave myself some omissions as the rain forgave and erased some squalor. It was still too early for trucks and hoses. A thud of papers dropped outside the newsagents' metal shutters. Am I glad we didn't last out the winter? You, the street I may believe that I lived on, have a new address. You've become, and I never would have wished it, something like a metaphor of the passage, time, a cobbled alley between two streets which diverge, a tune that reemerges out of the permutations rung on it by saxophone, bass, and piano, then takes one more plunge, so its resolution's all transformation. Someone's always walking away, the music changes key, the moving men pack the boxes. There the river goes with its bundled cargo, unanswered letters. Uh, and, and, and. Uh, Uh, when I was talking uh, to the writers about translation, I mentioned uh, a uh, sort of back and forth that I've had with some of the poets I've translated, but using the Spanish glosa and you know, taking um, t- taking f- taking four lines from a translated poem and then elaborating a new poem around it. And there are several of these in Uh, in this new book, and so in this case, I'm going to read the translated poem first, which is a poem called Storm, by the French poet Claire Malraux, and then the the glossa that came from it, which, uh, as is often the case, goes someplace completely different. Through the white days of the storm, bone-colored road, bone-colored sky, high vessels swaying in place, with flanks opened wide to the foe, the perfidious piper, the same one who drew young leaves out with his flute from their seeping motherly jail. In his wake, flowers and fruits, blackbirds, canticles, prophecies, duels and duets of sun and moon, the snow's caress, fur of forgetfulness, and the children circling the masts, Plunging entranced toward the routes, blood's risks, its hollows, its flames, exchanged for the pull of that song, bone-colored road, bone-colored sky, through the white days of the storm and the glosa. Once out of the grip of desire, or if you prefer, its embrace, free to do nothing more than admire the sculptural planes of a face. Are you gay, straight, or bi? Are you queer? You still tell your old chaplet of names which were numinous once. You replace them with adjectives, witty, severe, trilingual, abstracting blood's claims, blood's risks, its hollows, its flames. No craving, no yearning, no doubt, no repulsion that follows release, no presence you can't do without, no absence an hour can't erase. The conviction no reason could rout of being essentially wrong is dispelled. What feels oddly like peace now fills space you had blathered about where the nights were too short or too long exchanged for the pull of that song. But, "'Peace requires more than one creature "'released from the habit of craving "'on a planet that's mortgaged its future "'to the lot who are plotting and raving. "'There are rifts which no surgeon can suture "'overhead in the street sea, "'The bleak plain from which you are waving "'mapped by no wise benevolent teacher "'is not a delight to the eye.'" Bone-colored road, bone-colored sky. You know that the weather has changed, yet do not know what to expect with relevant figures expunged and predictions, at best, incorrect. Who knows on what line you'll be ranged and who and what cause you will harm? What cabal or junta or sect has doctored the headlines, arranged for perpetual cries of alarm through the white days of the storm. And um, there are quite a few hassles in this book, and the hassle is a form, another form that that we get uh, in in the uh, we get from from the Urdu and the and the Farsi in which when it was of course made uh, the. The quote "real causal involving, or, uh, involving a repeated word and a rhyme word, um, was uh, really made made known and made popular in English by the wonderful Kashmiri American poet uh, Aga Shahid Ali, and um, the um, Urdu poet Faiz Ahmed Faiz was quoted um, by one of his translators as having um, said that uh, that perennial question what is poetry uh, poetry is what survives after the loss of the beloved and uh, the hazel has the peculiarity of uh, uh, going all around a subject and indeed making a subject into uh, multiple subjects uh, it's anything but linear and so uh, most of these hazels are anything but linear and this one certainly is and it's called just it's called the beloved. Lines that grapple doubt, written because of the beloved. When grief subsides, what survives the loss of the beloved? Your every declaration is suspect. That was, at least, the departing gloss of the beloved. Were you merely a servant of the state, or, now you give the coin a toss, of the beloved? How pure you were, resistant in an orchard, peace with justice, the cause of the beloved. A scent of hyacinth clings to your fingers, of sap from a broken leaf, of moss, of the beloved. Ambiguous predators howl within earshot. You would like to curl up between the paws of the beloved. Now uniforms cite scripture to erase you. Only rabble and vermin die under the laws of the beloved. Who signed the warrant that sealed you in this cell? Who read your messages? Who was the boss of the beloved? How pure you were, how abject you are now, waterboarded after the double cross of the beloved. You were promised release on the recognizance. Will this be? A redemptive clause of the beloved, <laughs> and uh, and um, uh, this is a poem that was written just after the uh, after the death of Mahmoud Darwish. In uh, in the fall of two thousand eight, and at the same time, uh, or a few months earlier, a close friend of mine who was um, also a, also a great writer in her in in her eighties was uh, uh, in and then out of the hospital for uh, what was a kind of stroke from which she came back. So uh, Darwish did not come back and. Um, my friend did, Uh, and so uh, this poem is called A Braid of Garlic. Aging women mourn when they go to market, buy fish, figs, tomatoes, enough today to feed the wolf asleep under the table who wakes from what dream? What but loss comes round with the changing season he is dead whom, daring, I called a brother with that leftover life perched on his shoulder, cawing departure. He made one last roll of the dice. He met his last best interlocutor days before he lay down for the surgery that might, might not extend the gamble. What they said belongs to them. Now a son writes elegies though he has a living father. One loves sage tea. One gave the world the scent of his mother's coffee. Light has shrunk back to what it was in April. Incrementally will shrink back to winter. I can't call my peregrinations exile but count the mornings In a basket hung from the wall, its handle festooned with cloth flowers from chocolate boxes, mottled purple shallots, and looped beside it a braid of garlic. I remember, ten days after a birthday, counterpoint and candlelight in the wine glass, how the woman radiologist's fingers probed, not caressing. So reprise what wasn't called a recurrence of a 15 years ago rite of passage. I arrived encumbered with excess baggage, scarred on the threshold. Through the mild winter sun in February, two or three times weekly to Gobelin, the geriatric hospital where my friend was getting her nerve back, at the end of elegant proof and lyric, incoherent furious trolls in diapers, fragile and ephemeral ephemeral as all beauty, the human spirit. While the former journalist watched, took notes, and shocked, regaled her visitors with dispatches from the war zone in which she was embedded, biding her time there. Now, in our own leftover lives, we toast our memories and continents. I have scars where breasts were. Her gnarled fingers, these days, can hardly hold the pen steady. Thousands mourn him, while in the hush and hum of life support for multiple organ failure, utter solitude, poise of scarlet wings. That flutter and vanish. Um These are a few poems uh, from an ongoing sequence of Renga that I've been writing in collaboration with the Palestinian-American poet uh, Dima Shehabi, and the, the way... I mean, in our particular case, one of us—and thanks, thanks to email for making this possible— uh, one per, one of us will write a renga, and then the other one will pick up something in, usually in the last line, but not always, and, and use it as the the start the start of the other one. In the in here, there are just my, my some of mine, but but they have the the cues. From Dima's poems that uh, that that, uh, that that led to my poem that followed, and we began these um, during the uh, uh, during the Israeli invasion of, of Gaza uh, last uh, in, the, in the in the winter of uh, two, December January two thousand eight two thousand nine, and and, so, and they start there five six and righteous. The child in green in Gaza stands in her wrecked home, grubby, indignant. Her hands point. She explains what was done, bombed, burned. It all smells like gas. We had to throw our clothes away. The earrings my father gave me, no martyr, resistant. The burnt cradle, and then the cue line, curtains whip across. The third floor window in Belleville dyed blue purple like the hyacinth on the windowsill. Nejma does math homework strike today, but school tomorrow. Coming back from the demo, they sang in the street, Reve General. The slogan makes her smile, One Winter Sun. And then, uh, the cue line. Um, where where are the hills? He saw from New York. Marhaba, Nafisa, Girl, you watch your back. Tanks and uniforms zap guys' minds worse than testosterone. But you were gorgeous. Reasoning as you dodged to keep them from aiming at the brothers behind you, dancing along the barbed wire. Cue line. Uh, is always a word emerging mid-throat like the ein in an immigrant winter a word that casts blue-white flame across the cafe counter nightfall it's heady as the red wine they're drinking to hear each other's stories in a third language the bridge on which they first met and uh, this one in fact, didn't have a cue. The Halal Butcher has a charity tin for Enfants de Gaza. I pay for my leg of lamb and drop in all of the change. Walk away up the Rue de la Roquette humming Guantanamera. On the Place Voltaire, a white lady can enjoy the joke. And the last one, Sitting in a Garden was the cue line. Sitting on damp grass, she recites Asayab's lines on Dickinson's lawn. Slowly, her Anglophone friend repeats each verse after her. Back in Mosul, I'll either buy a house or buy a plot for a grave. Inshallah, you'll build a house. Keep that line for a poem. And, um... I will close with another glosa, which is not from a translation, but from a poem by Anna Akhmatova, which is, here we go. Um, The, and the, the, the the lines from Akhmatova are from her poem, Willow, and from Judith, Judith Henchmeyer's translation. Uh, and I grew up in pattern tranquility in the cool nursery of the new century, and the voice of man was not dear to me, but the voice of the wind I could understand. And the speaker is someone like Akhmatova. A sibilant wind presaged a latish spring. Bare birches leaned and whispered over the gravel path. Only the river ever left. Still, someone would bring back a new sailor midi to wear in the photograph of the four of us. Sit still, stop fidgeting. Like the still leafless trees with their facility for lyric prologue, and its gossipy aftermath i like to make up stories i like to sing i was encouraged to cultivate that ability and i grew up in patterned tranquility in a single room with a greasy stain like a scar from the gas fire's fumes when any guest might be a threat and any threat was a guest from the past or the future At any hour of the night, I would put the tea things out, though there were scrap leaves of tea but no sugar, or a lump or two of sugar but no tea. Two matches, a hoarded cigarette, my day's page ashed on its beer in a bed sitter. No godmother had presaged such white nights to me in the cool nursery of the young century. The human voice distorted itself in speeches, a rhetoric that locked locks and ticked off losses. Our words were bare as that stand of winter birches while poetasters sugared the party bosses' edicts, the only sugar they could purchase with servile metaphor and simile. The effects were mortal, however complex the causes. When they beat their child beyond this thin wall, his screeches, wails, and pleas were the gibberish of history, and the voice of man was not dear to me. Men and women, I mean, those high-pitched voices, how I wanted them to shut up. They sound too much like me, little machines for evading choices, little animals selling their minds for touch. The young widow's voice is just hers as she memorizes the words we read and burn, nights when we read and burn with the words unsaid, hers and mine, as we watch and are watched and the river reflects what spies Is the winter trees rustling a code to the winter land? But the voice of the wind I could understand. Thank you.